Good evening. What a special evening. Uh, my name is Milena Kalinowska, and I'm director of public programs here at the Hirschhorn Museum. It is my great pleasure to welcome you to the Hirschhorn for tonight, Meet the Artists, talk with Guillermo Kvitka, who join us for this evening because of his amazing exhibition, Guillermo Kvitka, Everything, Paintings and Works on Paper from 1980 to 2008. He will discuss his work together here with Graciela Speranza, who is professor of Argentinian literature at the University of Buenos Aires. The exhibition not only presents works from all of Kvitka's major series, but it's, to, it's the first to examine his work also in the context of his drawings that are included in this magnificent exhibition. The idea of this major retrospective first originated here at the Hirschhorn Museum with our director, previous director, Olga Wieser, who had the idea of presenting this exhibition and touring it around the, the country. I would like to also draw your attention that we have our most latest magazines available at the back here and also on the lobby floor where you can find out about our most recent programs and the programs that are forthcoming. I'd like to draw your attention to two especially. The first one is After Hours, which is taking place on October 28th. 29th, and Meet the Artists with Cyprian Gallard and Mario Garcia Torres, which is opening on November 10. Now I'd like to say some thank yous. The first huge thank you and huge acknowledgement of Guillermo and Evelyn Hankins, who is curator of, at the Hirschhorn Museum, who put this amazing exhibition together. I think their relationship, working relationship, was absolutely seamless. And I think it's thanks to the ambience that they had between the two of them, the exhibition looks so detail-orientated, it's a real experience, and the spaces are so beautifully conceived. I have been there already several times, and you know what? I'm moving my office right there. I don't want to miss a date of this exhibition. I also would like to acknowledge the Smithsonian Latino Center for their support of this program and the exhibition as part of the Argentinian Argentina at the Smithsonian 2000 Initiative. I also would like to thank Dani and Mirella Levinas for their very special and gracious support of this evening program. I also would like to thank the staff of the Hirschhorn Museum, particularly Sarah and Jenny. Uh, both of them are working here and they make sure that the programs that take place as part of the Meet the Artists of any lectures are again totally seamless and perfect. Now, I have a great opportunity to say something which is important for this evening. Please turn off your cell phones. Because these cell phones usually interrupt all of the sort of uh, uh, equipment here. And while the artist and Graciela will be talking, you will not be able to hear them. So I would very much appreciate if you can turn it off. Now, a little bit of introduction. Guillermo Quitca was born in Buenos Aires in 1961 and still lives there in a wonderful house, which is both where he lives and where he works. His first exhibition took place when he was 13, and he forged really a very distinctive path as an artist, creating visually compelling works that reflect his intense relationship with painting. 
Since the early 1980s, the artist's work has been characterized by recurring imagery, most notably spatial and mapping motifs through which Kwitka explores universal themes of migration, disappearance, intersection of private and public space, and their importance for memory. This exhibition, as I have said before, is his first major survey that is taking place in the United States, and this indeed is its last stop. His work was part of the Venice Biennale in 2007, as he was chosen representative of Argentina, and he was also included in the most prestigious Documenta, Documenta 9. We are delighted that we have Graciela Speranza with us. She is a professor, as I said before, of Argentinian literature at the University of Buenos Aires. She has published several books of conversations on art and literature and critical essays on contemporary art topics. She has also written documentary and feature film scripts, and as I have learned this afternoon, also two novels. So you know what? I'm going to read them. Uh, she has been a Guggenheim Fellow since 2002, and most recently she participated at the Getty Museum in a special research addressing the surrealism in South America. Graciela's essay, Conversations with Guillermo Quitka, is included in the exhibition catalog. The essay is a compilation of extensive different conversations she had with the artist. One section is from 1997 and 2007 and 2008. I'm absolutely delighted that Guillermo and Graciela are here and I think we will have a wonderful evening. Let's welcome them. Well, good evening everybody. Thank you for coming tonight. I am very pleased to be here accompanying Guillermo in the opening of this amazing retrospective at the Hirschhorn. So I would like to start by thanking the museum, uh, Olga, Doug, and Milena for the invitation, not only to participate in the catalog, but also to be here at the end of this long trip <laughs> of Guillermo. And Strangely enough, I first met Guillermo uh, through cinema. Argentine director Alberto Fisherman wanted to make a documentary film on Guillermo, and I was in charge of the script. So we talked long hours with Guillermo before finding a kind of plot line for the film. That was 1994, and we have been talking with him about his work and about many other things since then. But I think there was something in those very first conversations that set a kind of key for our future talks. Guillermo's main concern was painting and mine was literature at that time. But we, are, we were both trying to make a film. And I think that this being out of our fields led us into our long conversations about the dialogue between painting and theater, painting and cinema, painting and architecture in Guillermo's work, 
with a kind of shared intuition that being out of field might bring a kind of liberating aesthetic energy, a kind of leap. And there is no better example, I think, of this than Guillermo's work that has been expanding painting through all those languages without abandoning the picture plane. To follow Guillermo's work has been a unique experience for me. I was very surprised in 1994 to meet a very young, bright and talented artist who already had a world of his own, but I was much more surprised along the years to see how this world could expand and change and be the same and was able to go forward out of the tensions of its contradictions without abandoning the limited physical possibilities of painting. We must always apologize for talking about painting, Paul Valéry said, and it might be true. There is always something resistant in painting and in the visual arts in general that cannot be reduced to words. But far from hindering our conversations, the silence of painting has made the dialogue richer and more demanding for both of us, always at the verge of something that was not truly said and could perhaps be better met with the following question. There were very special moments in which I knew, or we both knew, that we had been able to get closer to that other language of painting, that we had been able to translate something of that strange combination of ideas, materials, and movements of the hand into words. And there were even moments during the conversation, very happy moments, I could say, I knew Guillermo was grasping something about his painting he himself had never grasped before. A conversation, an interview, is a kind of happening and in which this sort of shared magic may occur. So tonight I would like to bring here images of some of the works that have let us get closer to Guillermo's art during our conversations, and also bring some other works we had never talked about before and see what happens here in front of the public. We have talked in public before, but never in English, so we will try and see. <laughs> uh, every language is a world, they say, so perhaps we can say things we never said before. We'll try. <laughs> So, first of all, Guillermo, uh, how does it feel to be here at the Hirschhorn at the end of this long trip along the States? A uh, very special end, I could say, because it's a circular end. Uh, and I think that you can, uh, going along this circle, you can go through your long uh, years of work but at the same time, you go back to the beginning. Yeah. And I've seen that you go both ways. And what do you th see uh, every time you go one way or the other? Well, um, 
if you ask me how I feel uh, now, I feel a little bit melancholic because I have to say goodbye to a lot of words that probably are not going to be to see, you know, in many years and maybe ever again. But I'm used to that, so it's not that I didn't experience that. But actually, I we have installed this show four times in four different museums, and. Uh, and actually the fact that, as you point out, that it's finishing in a sort of a circular structure, circular architecture, and, and obviously we place two conveyor belts on each end, or beginning, beginning and end, mm. make it emphasizing even more the circularity of, of things. Make me think that maybe I'll, you know, I'll find the things again, or, I mean, there will be, the nice part. Uh, the downside is that I might be seeing these things again. So, <laughs> so at, at some point, I, you know, a retrospective show, it's good too, because you, you face, again, like all friends, but also all, all rivals, all enemies. So it's not that you have always the pleasure to encounter the things you have done. Sometimes you're, you're faced to ghost of the past. So in a way, um, I think that being in this circle situation it will put me in a way in front of of things that I'm equally pride and ashamed. So just to say something a little bit extreme. There are always moments that you have this secret moment with a painting where you said it wasn't so bad. A moment when you have in front of Pino said, it's not quite right. Though I have to say I love this show. I'm not ashamed of this show. And that's <laughs> not what I wanted to say. You shouldn't be. <laughs> Thank you. But, uh, but, um, and also surprised by some I works you... I'm more surprised for the relationships of the work. Not, not really of the works itself. I think I keep a, a, a very decent memory of what I've done. And these are important pieces, so in a way, I, they have with me, I mean, they're in my memory, clearly. I might not remember the time when I made that painting, but I, I think I remember pretty much what is on the work. But what could be surprising, or what happen, happened to surprise me, is the, some relationships that has been established in, between pieces that normally they have been either shown separately or they don't belong to the same time. Mm. For instance, there is this gallery, the last, or the first gallery, according to where you enter, that where we have the two uh, paintings from Venice, the, the, the mm -hmm. very large painting from 2007, and in the middle is the crown of thorn. It's a huge crown of thorn, sort of a, a very, um, uh, a uh, very abstract and twisted and somehow arbitrary shape. And that connection was, was not established before. And I found it that that was a big plus to, it's almost like, almost like you're creating a new work. Obviously there are rooms where the work has been more put it together by subject, for instance the maps, but again, there is a map from 2006 and a map from 89 and 90, and somehow they, 
they they keep a strong relation together, and and that that's that's what surprised me, and that's what I think I was I was looking for, and I think that's what this show is about ultimately. So let's go through the show. Okay. Let's go back to. Uh, we've always started with theater in our conversation, so let's do it again. <laughs> um, this is 1986, one of the paintings of the series El Mar Dulce, where the famous scene of Potemkin appears at the back of the stage. Um, not long before this series, you thought that nothing could be done in painting and everything could be done in theater. Yes. But very quickly you were able to uh, paint film <laughs> and a very special kind of film illuminated by a theater spot. Well, that's true. Yeah. And uh, I was very surprised to know at the moment that you had not seen the film when you painted this series. That's correct. Um, did the fact that you had not seen the film help you to make your own story of the film and the story we see in the scene or all the scenes in this series? I don't know. Yes and no. I mean, I was, I was struck by the, the, the frame, I mean the film still, which is probably one of the most famous frames still in, the, in, in, in movie history. <laughs> And, um, and I found it incredibly poignant, the falling of the baby carriage from, from these steps. So in a way, I, I knew that that image in itself had all the elements that I, want, that I needed. I knew, obviously, it was a, I was quoting a film, a very important and very well-known film. I just happened, I don't know, for those gaps that we have, and, mm -hmm. you know, Sometimes you think you read everything and you realize that you haven't read, I don't know, Anna Karenina, for instance. I'm just, just mm -hmm. thinking that I, I was, I, I saw a lot of, of film at that time and uh, how you could not have seen the Battleship Potemkin. Well, I didn't, so anyway. <laughs> so maybe that was a gap which I could enter, but I don't think the, the painting depicts or tried to, to put in place any context of what's going on in that image. Actually, as you just said, that image is coming from a film, but it has a, a theater spot that hits the, the mm -hmm. baby carriage, which I think at some point we realize that if a light spot hits a projection, you, you, cannot, see. you cannot see anything, <laughs> so it would be yeah. a blind spot. Mm -hmm. So obviously this is a painting and, and you could make tricks that that in other media cannot happen. So in a way, this is sort of a theatrical and, and cinema event at the same time. But maybe that image is actually is painted on one of these walls that looks like a gigantic studio, a gigantic, mm -hmm. I mean, we see also the canvas turning to the wall. Mm -hmm. So it might be a painter's studio. I, I wonder if it's that. Also, there was a moment in my painting was previous to this work, I think you see in this show, the, there were more figures in my paintings, especially in the previous Mar Dulce painting from, from 85, you see a lot of figures, 
they're always small. And here you just see one remain figure. Next year, or in, at the end of 86, I will going to get rid of all the figures and only will be remaining beds and chairs and stuff. And uh, I, I, um, I don't think I know anything about the story that is being told in this painting. I can't, I can't say that, that there is a narrative attached to this. So therefore, I cannot build up a story, mm -hmm. whether I've seen the film or not. As we've said many times, I think that we arrive, or I, I feel that I arrive to the, to, to the scenes that I depict in my paintings, either too soon or too late. We don't know yet what's going to happen, or it's too late, and we can't help mm -hmm. what happen happens. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we see the consequences of that, or we see this, the, 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 the anticipation of that. And it's funny that you point, we were talking briefly today, and you thought that there is a guy on, on one of the beds, and he's laying, laying down, and his, his two arms seems to be putting his actually his hands in what you thought it were box, box gloves. Gloves, yes. But, but actually are, are the picture of Van Gogh boots, Van Gogh shoes. Mm -hmm. So that enhanced a little bit the idea that this is a lot, there is a lot of pictorial, um, pictorial is... Uh, images that images. you compose in a, in a scene, you don't know what's happening there. No, not at all, no, but... But then you connected the, the scene, uh, especially in Odessa, to your own story, your own familiar story. Yeah, it's true. Well, I did. I did because you asked me, but, <laughs> but actually I... That uh, was the only time you said something about your biography. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, with the, with the time I, I was, I started to loosen a little bit up that I was pretty much uh, against any self-referential or biographical mm -hmm. uh, boomerang of, yeah. of the world. Just I didn't want to like to send something as as you do in a boomerang and then hit it by that. So I don't know. Maybe I was trying to. It's just that I found it that there was too much self-referential art everywhere, and I just didn't mm -hmm. couldn't take it. Or it, it didn't relate that to me. But anyway, it's it's hard to to think that we we could we could push away anything that is related to our our history. In this case, there is uh, a sense of a biographical sense, since my grandparents came from Odessa and from Ukraine, and. Um, and I, I like to make the link that that baby carriage is not a baby carriage, but it's a boat. Mm -hmm. And it's a boat that brings immigrants from, from Russia to South America. And I know the baby carriage doesn't look like a ship at all, but, but the title of this piece, it's called El Mar Dulce, which is for the ones that were you know, or been in, Ar in Argentina or study or went to school in Argentina. Mar Dulce is a sort of a nickname 
for the Rio de la Plata, which is the river that pretty much uh, divide Argentina and Uruguay, but also Buenos Aires is on the margin of the Rio de la Plata, and El Mar Dulce is a sort of a nickname for that river. So in a way, it seems like this, the title and, and these images carry some echoes, some biographical echoes, but they shouldn't be upfront, they shouldn't be on first, mm -hmm. the first thing you, you see. Though I, I guess I'm not that guy. I might have been very depressed, but I'm not that, <laughs> that guy with his hands. And uh, I would say just one other, another remark, which is, I guess, something quite recent, actually. Uh, even if I reject all these biographical uh, backgrounds, the fact that at that time, I, you just said that I had this, this remark saying that everything is possible in theater, nothing is possible in painting, not knowing exactly what I meant by, by that. But the fact that these canvases are, are, are flipped Mm -hmm. and, and they're, in a way, it seems like it's a, it's, I'm neglecting painting, in a way. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously this is a painted surface, but, but I think those canvases against the wall, is like, mm -hmm. like, there's nothing here mm -hmm. that's worth to be shown. The center is otherwise. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I'm talking on this, yeah, the, the three canvases mm -hmm. next to, the, by the door. So um, anyway, that's, that's a sort of a afterthought that I had. But Guillermo, when you see the picture here, we were looking at, the, at this work uh, a moment ago. What is the first thing you see in the painting? That's a good question. Um, uh, frankly, I see, I see some vibrations. I just try to see how the reds ages if the reds are still as strong as they are, they're really strong and they're in a good health. It's not that I look the work uh, as, if, as if I were um, a conservator, so I'm not looking for, for problems in the conservation of the painting, it's not that. But it's, I go to very basic pictorial elements. Material, Material brush strokes, drippings, um, yeah, I mean, like, specific things, almost like if I could, that's the first thing I look, I, I, I go around, like, uh, like looking for, uh, in this painting in particular, I think I was, the, the vehicle that I found was the certain areas where the red is, pops up mm -hmm. towards you very strongly, and uh, I think that's what I saw, and that's, that's the first thing I see. I found today that there was, as you notice, that there was what looks like to be a telephone in, on t near the bed. And they say, who, when, when I, I mean, that, I totally forgot I was in a telephone. I don't know what I look, it's, 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 so, it's so difficult to look at, at the paintings in, in an organized way. You know, you're the artist, you're, your image is supposed to be random and chaotic mm -hmm. and and uh, and also it's supposed to go whatever it leads you so mm -hmm. i don't have a plan for this so 
I could enter the work anywhere. And actually, I, I hope that the viewer will do the same. I mean, we, this, mm -hmm. this painting doesn't have a script, doesn't have, no, no, most of the paintings don't have instructions. And I hope, uh, and I think I, I do the same. Uh, um, yeah, I just follow my instinct, I guess. Okay, let's go forward and we're going to make a big leap. Yeah. <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> and uh, theaters here again, but with two new techniques. Mm -hmm. uh, you use for the first time collage and this other technique you invented. And before that, you made a uh, 180 degrees turn. Yes. But I wanted to get to this uh, collage and this uh, new technique you invented because uh, <clears throat> from those scenes we saw in El Mar Dulce and the other theaters, we got to this period where, where you distracted or um, with we tried to find the, the, a more precise word during uh, our conversations. Decreated yeah. the theaters, and um, as I said, you invented a technique. I know many people are intrigued by the technique. I don't <laughs> know if you want to re reveal the mystery or yeah. give a hint. Maybe I didn't invent it anyway, but uh, <laughs> it's. Um, how do you want me to start? Uh, maybe I should say it first, what you say by passing, that this idea of turning the mm -hmm. scene from, from the angle of... The, yeah, that, that will... So, if in the Mar Dulce the point of view was from the, from the audience, if the El Mar Dulce is a theater, is a theater scene, our perspective then was from the from the audience, but in a painting like this, we are on the stage, so we are the actors. We are the one that looking at the audience. So that shift is one is one eighty degree turn, and it took a lot of time to to do that shift. So, and uh, this piece is not of the show, but I'm glad that you you have it here because. At that time, I was attracted to the idea to see the audience as a prompter. Mm -hmm. So, as if the audience were dictating the text to the actor. Uh, Come Thick Night is, is, a, is a Shakespeare quote from Lady Macbeth. Mm -hmm. And I like the idea that, that whoever was... Now, here we are Lady Macbeth, <coughs> reading what we have to say. Mm -hmm. and, and that was a very important moment for me because even if a long time ago in 86 I abandoned the human figure, by this time I was abandoned the theater on the stage and I was embracing the audience as if the drama was happening in the audience. O obviously the previous work, the 32 scene plan, the one you, mm -hmm. you show before, yeah that's the detail. Um, it's almost as, uh, it was part of a show that I call stage fright. And 
thinking that there was equivalent stage fright being living or being yeah. in the audience as being in the stage. So also I wanted to, to shift the drama towards the audience. And I, I found, I came across with this technique, which I don't know if it's a technique, it's, it's simply my... It's magic, I think. <laughs> <laughs> my, um, my approach to these works is like, is using um, seating plans of, um, in this particular case, mostly of, of, of opera houses around the world. And normally I, I Google them or I pretend that I'm going to buy a ticket and then I download the, the image. I switch the colors, I change the price of tickets, I make the cheap tickets expensive, the expensive cheap and so That's forth, so it's, <laughs> or I make all one single price. And I mean, it doesn't matter, but uh, the important moment is that I, what I do is I print in a photo paper, um, you know, a very stat static, static image of the scene plan and and instead of altering the image I try to alter the, the paper so I try to attack the paper as if it were the image and by I, I do that by uh, by altering the quoting of the paper using water sometimes I use a steam sometimes I use hot water or cold water or a combination of both, these papers are effective for, you know, for family portraits. And, but when you moisturize them, uh, something very tragic happens. The image is almost convulted, convulted in itself. It, it starts a sort of a explosion. And most of the works that I've done in this technique I ended up being on the trash can because it's very hard to control. But some <laughs> succeed. And when succeed, I'm, I'm very happy because it seems like the image itself migrates to, to another part of the paper or, or the sheet. And all the details are there. It's, it, but they're just being migrated. Uh, that's why Doug called them uh, flotation drawings. That's how the, he called them. That. I like to use the word migration. I like to think that parts of the, what's been printed just are taken away somewhere else. And the, and the effect is quite dramatic and, uh, and quite theatrical, actually. And I think that these two techniques are kind of complementary because uh, doing the collage uh, takes a lot of time and well, and this is very fast and this is uh, rather uh, uh, magic uh, like uh, if, if they made themselves yes and no because I edit all this work so much mm -hmm. it's uh, you know yeah there is a random element to I don't know what I'm going to achieve I don't know what's going to happen mm -hmm. I can control something but actually the you know, it takes a lot of time to to get a good image of this. It's like it's almost like a lab work. So it feels more like a. In that sense, I think it's almost like a photography. Um, so it, chance is very important. Chance is very important. Yeah, and it's also a sense of experimental uh, mm -hmm. 
lab work. And uh, in the collage, let me, mm -hmm. let me go. Yeah, this is, mm -hmm. this is uh, a later collage. Well, pre no, sorry, not so late. It's just pretty much the same time. Um, I try to echo those, those accidents. But these accidents are not random. These are fabricated chance. Fabricated <laughs> and, and very formal, very, very formal works. So in a way they, they um, yeah, they are, yeah, there's some manipulation of the image here and there. I, I conceive these images almost as abstract paintings. Mm -hmm. uh, abstract works in this case, just in paper, and you know it's. It, it looks like they demand a lot of work, but the technique is is quite direct. It's cut and paste. It's it's a lot of glue. I don't pretend to avoid the glue. You see no, that no, no, the darker black areas is just an, a massive amount of glue, and I like that. It's almost like a almost like the glue, it's, 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 it's suffocates the paper, or it's uh, inunda, how do you say that? Uh, flats. Flats? Flats, yeah, flats the, the paper. Mm -hmm. So, um, and uh, so that's pretty much what happened. And uh, also, there was a reason why I needed to see these images in a bigger size. These are not very large works, but they're much bigger than the the, the photo paper works, and somehow in the need to look for a bigger image, uh, I found, obviously I didn't invent anything here, collage exists for so long. What I'm saying is that I, I came across with a technique that I hadn't really used at all in my, mm -hmm. through my career. So, so it was good to, to find that the collage was something that I could embrace that I could like, mm -hmm. that I could love, and also that could put away a lot of pictorial vices or pictorial recurrent mm -hmm. ways of doing things for a while. Almost I work for two years with collages and, and works on paper, and I put aside the brushes, the paint, the oils, and so it was a good, was a good, was good. It's it just almost like to clean my, I don't know, my practice, my studio, my whatever. Okay. Let's go to maps. Oh, yeah. Uh, we have these maps we have here in the exhibition. And then again, with a big leap, you go to this two fabulous works, everything, and this untitled, mm -hmm. where you also uh, deconstruct, destroy, decreate the maps you've made in the 80s and 90s. But uh, during our conversations, I was very surprised to know, oh, there were two moments, two revelations. One was that you you embraced maps with a kind of very naive approach and as if you were the first one who who 
were using this material. And then I remember a very funny scene you, you told me, um, buying maps in a New York shop almost blindly uh, at random uh, of every place and uh, I, I thought at the time that it was a very Borges-like mm. image of uh, our tradition is the whole universe so we have the whole uh, array of maps to work with uh, but I, I wanted to know what happened in between, Guillermo. Uh, the world changed, you changed, uh, the, the maps changed. The world changed. <laughs> <laughs> um. Or it's just a different um, idea of treating the material? Both things. Um. As you point out at the beginning, there was this cyclical idea, and again, the conveyor belt brings me, again, it's a, it's a sort of a iconic image of, of things that keeps coming. Mm -hmm. So even if I did maps at the eight, in, in late 80s, and by 92 or 93, I was sick of maps, I said, no just maps. no maps, no more maps for you, I said to me. <laughs> just, just enough is enough. And <laughs> I didn't want it to be labeled like the artist that makes map. That, I hated that. <laughs> I didn't know that there was such things like map artist. <laughs> I was getting letters or emails. No, not emails at that time, faxes maybe, saying, oh, we are. I know you're a map artist. I mean, I, I, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. And so, anyway, for, for either for that reason or for, or because, anyway, the maps were leading me somewhere else. I decided to stop doing map. But anyway, I wasn't. Mm -hmm. Twenty years later, fifteen years later, I was doing this work. Between the painting you first show, the the triptych, and and the other one. There is a big difference. Here, the maps are not, there is no decreation, there is no, there is, there is no, um, there is no uh, uh, reinvention of the places. This place exists, this place, those roads exist, the names, the rivers, everything that is there exists and is still in a sort of a logical position. Maybe panel one, two, and three doesn't correspond one to, to each other, but in itself each one is a coherent map. The reference is precise. The reference is precise, the name hopefully is, is, <laughs> is, is not misspelled, and, and everything is in place. But, but. Uh, no, but I wanted to point out, but at, <laughs> Meaning that, what meaning is in place? I, and this, this painting has an interesting life throughout the show because obviously at the time in 1990 I never had any thoughts about having this painting or a show at the, for instance, the Walker, which is in, 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 in Minneapolis. At the center of this, this, this painting, you could read easily St. Paul, Minneapolis. A place that for me at that time couldn't be more 
remote. remote. And that's what I pick it. <laughs> and obviously, since the work is in the United States, a lot of people get connection with the places. I didn't have connection with the places. I have connection with the names of the places, mm -hmm. with a map, but not with the place. So, again, the, there was a literal transcription in a way, but that literal transcription was so remote that for me it was so abstract that it, needed, it was no need to make it abstraction because it was mm -hmm. abstract it's already. Mm -hmm. It's just that while we were installing the show, and actually in, the, in this couple of days, some people point out places that said, I, I was born here, mm -hmm. I came from here, I was there, and so forth. And I really like that, uh, that, that, that connection that gets established. Because I know that if I, do, if I put a name of a place, that place might not have a particular resonance to me, but it will have to someone else. And that's, I think, is pretty much how I feel that the triangulation, does exist that word? Mm -hmm. that, well, okay, maybe you know what I mean. The, uh, <laughs> the, how, how I feel that paintings can, can work between the piece, the artist, and the viewer. So the echoes or the meaning are not really between the painting and me, yeah. but between someone else that suddenly connects with a place exactly. and without necessarily having to pass through me. Anyway, that, that was important and actually for me it's important like that... Like a code. Yeah, like for a secret people. code. That's something mm -hmm. that happens between the viewer and the, mm -hmm. and the, and the work. Mm -hmm. um, so... In but the, then? But then <laughs> when I took back the maps, I was really much more familiar with the maps of the United States. So this is a broken map. Mm -hmm. This is um, this has many many fragmentary parts of the United States. Obviously, I don't know all those names. These are thousands of names. This is a piece that looks very abstract from a distance, but from a close view, mm -hmm. it's 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 insane. Yeah. The so amount nightmare of, of of names. Nightmare of names and rivers and roads. It's almost like a like a net that is completely uh, mm -hmm. almost uh, impenetrable. Um, again, but here all the parts are 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 uh, are cut and pasted and replaced, creating again this idea that I like uh, as a moment that we might have started our journey in a place and take a road that leads us to the same place. So in this painting, there is many paradox. For instance, there is one part that goes from Dallas to Dallas, mm -hmm. uh, from Dallas to Dallas, and that is almost like a nightmare that you can, not because I don't like Dallas, just has nothing to do with the place. <laughs> there might be something, someone from Dallas here. So. No, no, no. <laughs> Actually, I like that. What I'm saying is <laughs> that it's um, the idea that no matter which, which road you take, which mm -hmm. you're always arriving to a place that you just left. Mm -hmm. So, in this case, the map is completely reconfigured mm -hmm. and, and, and it's, a, it's, a different, it's a different approach. And, uh, and actually, let me say just one other thing. Um, for one very good reason, this painting, though it's a gigantic map, is not in the, in the room that we devoted to the maps. It's in the room that we devoted to the theaters. Yeah. And, uh, for some reason it felt right. 
it looks good, it looks great there. And I was wondering many times why. Then I came across to the idea that it also looks like a curtain, like a big, luxurious opera curtain, which at that time lace. I was... Lace, like lace. Maybe laces or fold, uh, um, how you say that, the uh, foldings? Um, this is a theatrical work for the, for the uh, theater curtain. Anyway, you know what I mean, the, um, mm -hmm. the folding, yeah? Mm -hmm. Does this make sense? Anyway, um, it, it looks like a, like, like a theatrical curtain. So um, it doesn't mean to be that in, in literal terms, but it looks very, very precise and very, mm -hmm. some, that somehow belongs to, to that, mm -hmm. to those works. So and Guillermo, uh, everything is the name of the show. Yeah, that's true. And um, what is a very ambitious name? <laughs> very. And uh, what is the relationship of this particular work to the show? Why everything for the show? I don't know. I had a big trouble finding a title for this work. You'll you know that through the show there are many works that have no titles, so I have no problem to, to leave some pieces untitled, but I couldn't leave that piece untitled. And, um, and everything refers to, to many things, like, obviously it refers to everything, it's, 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 it's silly, but it is. The idea that it's an all-inclusive title, Boeti mm -hmm. uh, used the title tutto mm -hmm. and quasi tutto, which is, means and everything and, mm -hmm. and almost everything. So, and, and, I, and I know Boeti's work, so probably, mm -hmm. uh, I don't think, obviously Boeti have done maps too. I'm not sure whether this is a dialogue with Boeti, but anyway, uh, Boeti had that title. And I don't know, I like it, the idea that that everything, the title, is a very arbitrary fragment of something. So, in a way that yeah. everything is never everything and everything is very partial. And, but also the idea that a painting embraces uh, a totality and whatever you're looking at is all you, all you have, all you get. Mm -hmm. And that's all. So, so in a way, I like the. Obviously, it's a nice title. It's a tricky title. Yeah. It's a good title for a show. But but, uh, yeah. but, but the, I, I always like the idea that, that a painting. You know, I started think, talking about that you cannot do anything in painting. Hmm. But then I found that you could do everything. <laughs> so, in in a way, I I think that everything echoes that. Uh, I thought. Today I thought there is uh, another of the paradoxes of your work because uh, it seems like a metonym, I think, I mean, the part for the whole, mm -hmm. but the part for the whole here is everything. So <laughs> I think this is what is, you were trying to describe. That's it's a very special part it's that a, is everything. That's exactly <laughs> what I tried to say. Yeah, I just said it better. Actually, also, we have um, the show starts, it doesn't really start with that work, but the first, I think the first painting we saw when you enter the show is this little 
bed on a, on a yellow um, yellow background, a little sort of a really rustic and sort of a naked image. Mm -hmm. And the title of that piece is Nadie Olvida Nada. Mm -hmm. No one's no one forgets anything or nothing. Anything. And I think between that nothing and this everything was the sort of a bookends of the show. And at some point we I thought that we had the title from nothing to everything, but it was so <laughs> a, a, a very stupid, stupid title and a very even more pretentious. So it was, it was a terrible title. But anyway, I wanted to embrace that nothing mm -hmm. by putting this by everything. everything. So okay. that, I think that's a little bit of the of what's, okay. what's in the title of the show and, and the paint. Um, I wanted to speak about architecture with you, but. I want to get to Warhol, so I don't okay. know if we want. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because you all, you also made a great leap from this modest neighborhood architect to this mad planner here. <laughs> But we talked a lot about that, and I think that humor appeared for the first time here. I don't know if it's that right. But I think that uh, I remember we laughed a lot trying to imagine the sausage factory, <laughs> uh, this huge sausage factory. Yeah. But I wanted to go to another, another diagram okay. that you know I like very much. This is a naked tango after Warhol, um, uh, an Argentinian the tournament or <laughs> Warhol, <laughs> literal the tournament because yeah. you danced uh, tango and um, I wanted to ask you, well, I think that it's nice that you tell us how you, you did this painting, that you thought that nothing could be done in painting but you also uh, danced a painting <laughs> and um, why Warhol, I, I remember that when we first talked about other painters, the only name that appeared was Warhol. Why Warhol was so important for you? I mean, it's important for everybody. I think it's, it's, it's obviously it's a big force and uh, it's hard to, to avoid his art. But anyway, this is a very specific work and um, um, Yeah, I think the figure of Warhol is always felt a space where I could swim into, it's like a pool that I could dive and and do things related to Warhol or take what I think it was something that I could um, again, again, I came across with a conveyor belt as if the Luggage that says Warhol came to the conveyor belt. I yeah, took because it. I can show yeah. this series. <laughs> so something like that. But going back to the yeah. naked tango, obviously it's based on the famous uh, diagram paintings of uh, Warhol. Uh, Warhol did many diagrams of of steps, fox, of, 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 of dance mm -hmm. steps, mm -hmm. foxtrot. I don't know. Maybe he did mambo, cha cha cha, waltz. Well, tango was amid those, and I and I like the idea to literally put my foot in in in, in Warhol's shoes, <laughs> which in the in the Warhol painting you see the shoes, and and it's a very diagrammatic painting. Um, 
so I soak my my foot on 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 acrylic and I so I, I did I create this I, I recreate this 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 shape and Jorge had a, yeah, a leading my role <laughs> helped me a lot because obviously the the food doesn't drain paint so it was a really uh, we have to create a sort of a structure to make this happen and look as if it is a danced and with some kind of elegance even and uh, anyway I think I like the fact that how this work relates almost one-on-one -on -one with with the, the diagram and uh, and I guess I was trying also to make a little bit of a joke about mm -hmm. these cliches of Argentina equal tango, equal Evita, equal Maradona, I mean all that blah blah blah. <laughs> and I thought that, you know, it's, I don't know, I just thought it was fun and, uh, you know, that's the type of things that you came across when you're anywhere else. Do you dance tango? Do you, no, I mean I don't. And, uh, <laughs> but I do. <laughs> <laughs> but I made a tango painting, and uh, so in a way, it's 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 you know it has different echoes. It was mm -hmm. it started was almost like a, as a joke, mm -hmm. and and ended up being a very serious painting, and mm -hmm. uh, a painting that it was, you know, it's an it's it's a work that I that I like. It's uh, it's not in the show, but uh, it's 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 on the catalog. Yeah. But Warhol appeared appears in the show with a series? Yeah, this painting is in the show and here what I did is I took some of the iconic images of Warhol, let's say from lease, flowers, uh, dollar, bill. dollar bills and uh, electric chairs, you know, from different times even there's, you know, like, and, and what I did is I, I, I I copy a little bit the background of those paintings, but I remove the figures. So almost like, like, like if I ha if I peel off the the silk screen element that normally is what Warhol have. You know, the, the very simple technique is like like a very dynamic, sometimes a very dynamic background and a very uh, and a very firm uh, print. So I did this works by almost by spilling off the screen I, and leaving just the, the echoes of, of, of Warhol's background. And then I create this small suite called the, the Warhol Suite. But you made a more painterly Warhol because you took off photography. Yeah, photography. <laughs> reproduction. Referentiality. We have a new Warhol painter. Well, I don't know. Pure painter. <laughs> I don't know if it's so close to Warhol anymore. And, uh, but anyway, times, times the time I like to, as I said, try to I came across to Warhol's ideas and... Here again with the diary. Yeah, that's true. Well, this is a very important project that I started... Sorry, very important to me. I'm not saying <laughs> it's, it's otherwise sounds so pretentious. I'm going to show more because... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, this piece is not here. Well, this is a suite of works that I started in 94. And... And here it says 94, 2004, but actually it's an ongoing project. Mm -hmm. It didn't stop in, in 2004. This series is up to there, you know? Well, it's, oh, a, it's oh, a no. ongoing, it's mm -hmm. an ongoing work. Yeah, yeah. And uh, basically, let me explain what it is. It's uh, the round shape, it's, it's because I have in my studio a circular table. And, uh, and pretty much this is the doodling and the... Um, 
and the daily notations of things that happen around me, their informations, their drawings, their, you know, I, I just saw at, in New York this nice show at Hauser and Beers from uh, Dieter Roth uh, tables, which are not so unrelated to this. Actually, this is not so unrelated to that, but maybe the big difference with that, because pretty much all the artists, we have some kind of immediate material that some, at some point we, we think it's valuable and we want it to keep. The idea in these tables is that I took as a starting point a rejected canvas, a piece that is not going anywhere or somehow I tried too hard and it didn't succeed as a rectangular or orthogonal painting. But in a way, I tried to give a second life mm -hmm. to that work as a background of my diaries. And I call them diaries because this is what they are. I don't write, I don't keep a diary saying like, dear diary, but I keep this. And, uh, and this is my daily notation. As I said, sometimes there are telephone numbers, email addresses, money issues, uh, measures. Color proofs. Color proofs, yeah, sometimes, sometimes it's more drawing, sometimes more pictorial. And, uh, and I keep changing every maybe five months, six months, eight months, I, I take the, the canvas that I put on that table and I replace it for another one. So I think what we haven't established yet is the connection with Warhol here, which actually I think is because I was really interested in Warhol's time capsules. And uh, which is a piece that always fascinates me, and uh, this has nothing to do with that. It doesn't, it doesn't look like that at all. But uh, uh, but for me, it's a little bit of my daily, my daily stuff. My, my the, this is what's what is my. Um, in a way, I I wanted to do something that connects my routine. Uh, whether it's the boredom of being in the studio or the excitement. It could go from one thing to the other, but it's all is in there. I spend a lot of time. Sometimes I spend more time in the in the table than in the than in the painting. And sometimes the table is there while I'm here. So mm -hmm. I've been traveling for a long time this trip, and the I feel that the diaries in my studio in Buenos Aires, and it still is achieving because I think the amount of time is important. Mm -hmm. for those paintings. So and when you look at them, you, you kind of remember the... No, no, no I can't remember anything. No, it's, no I don't remember it's anything at all. It's a very special diary. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and let's go. We, we, during our conversations, we made a connection of this painting that I think that turned to be rather autobiographical for me because uh, there was a moment when you wanted to go on painting and you I think that you found a way there that uh, we discover led to this series. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yes and no. Actually um, I think no, I yeah. I wouldn't make that connection. My I would make I would say that this painting it's it's established a little bit of the the possibility of painting amid a, a pre-established space. Mm 
In this case, I use architectural feature and somehow I use the brush as if I were inhabiting the space, like entering a room, exit, I mean, like moving around the canvas as if I were, if, if, if the brush was, was, again, a vehicle, which it is, of course, but entering a space, doing something, and leaving even by, by the door that I previously established. Mm -hmm. Obviously, in this canvas, it's, it's almost like a drunken painter because it doesn't really enter through the door, it bumps into walls, so it's, it's, yeah. it's not so coherent, but that's, that's, that's okay. That's, I think that's the beauty of it. What I think is happening the, on but, the painting that yeah. it looks so different, so modernist, so referential, so yeah. different and blah, blah, blah. It's, um, I really don't know what happened. Um, I think I, sometimes I try to explain why these paintings were possible to me. Is um, first because I've done through in those two years the works in collage that somehow put me away from paintings, and I found that that I had an incredible. I was incredibly lucky to be to be able to paint again. I don't know what that means, but somehow for an artist that started so early, mm. I never stopped painting, and in a way it looks great, but it doesn't. So, so I, the collage allowed me to almost to, to, to create a sort of a tabula rasa. Mm -hmm. But there is a big paradox, because how the tabula rasa could look so inhabit but so many painters. Paint. So almost <laughs> when I started to paint from what I thought it was a zero uh, mm. start, I was completely inhabited by hundreds of artists that I have seen from my life. Obviously there is a modernist look, there's almost a cubist look, but there's something else. There's, there is obviously Brack Picasso, but it's also later Cubisms. There is Argentinian concretism. Lito. There is this Argentine artist that I admire very much called Alfredo Lito from 50s. I mean, actually, mm -hmm. he's from the 40s. Fontana. Fontana, obviously, that's another mm -hmm. reference. And actually, they are not references. They were just no. things that I, 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 I made this painting in a very natural way, and somehow that natural way was completely inhabited by all these ghosts. But and, Guillermo, uh, I, I remember that uh, you know. I think also, sorry, yeah, there is also yeah. a very Duchampian element yeah. to, to the work. That's, yeah. Yeah, uh, I remember that in the first conversations you said something that intrigued me very much: that it was very difficult for you to look painting in the face. Yes, that's true. And I think that uh, at this moment you look painting in the face. Well, look at my painting of the face, at least. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Something changed. It's almost like, you know, remember in the painting we saw at the beginning, the Mar Dulce from 86, that there were this mm -hmm. canvas against the wall? Almost if, if I flip those paintings and I put them on place, maybe that's the image that was hidden. Mm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I was afraid to look at painting, as you said, in the face, and there, now I was... I don't know, I, by neglecting for so many years all the history of painting, I was almost like a wave that, that 
completely took me and, and I found myself completely drawn into this pictorial modernist world. But it was really a new start for you. Oh, it I, was. I remember yeah. you came home thrilled of yes. being painting again. Yes, <laughs> I, yeah, I thought that I was going to quit painting, but I, obviously I, every two weeks I think I would quit painting. But, <laughs> but um, I don't know, there were, you know, a lot of people feel unhappy about this painting, but I don't care. I think they're. Yeah, this great. The language that I manage to manipulate these days, I feel that these are not referential, these are not tributes, these are not, I don't know, I really can't point out elements here. Mm -hmm. I know it could be like a sampling or like a mishmash of, you know, hundreds of painters, and it's fine. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it was just the time. I was look, doing those paintings, uh, I knew that I was going to do the Venice Biennial in 2007. I said, I have to do something that it has, it has to be completely different from what I've done. And, uh, Out of the root of theater, plan. Exactly, yeah. Uh, but also, I couldn't do anything else. It's not that I did this on purpose. This is, this mm -hmm. is my language. This when is the painter I am today. I can, I can say it a different way. And you know, when we finish reconstructing all the relationships with theater, with uh, architecture, with cinema, I even wrote a long essay on that, you disappear with all the relationships. Yes. <laughs> so, um, pure painting again. In a way it is, yeah. I don't, mm. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that, you know, this is still recent paintings. This is dated 2006, but still my work is inhabited by, by this aesthetic in a way. So I feel that like, I'm totally immersed in that. I still don't have the, the, the distance that I need to, to say what it is, mm -hmm. or what it's not. Mm -hmm. Maybe I could say what it's not, but I could, I can't, I'm not so sure if I could say this is this. And uh, I think they, you know, they're paintings. They're just paintings. And uh, yeah. Guillermo, uh, we promised we were going to talk about works we never talked about and yes. I want to give some time in a minute to the people to ask questions. Okay. And uh, I only saw this work, two installations in fact we have never talked about this one um, that, I don't know, is it an installation for you? <laughs> or is it painting with a bit of air in between? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think whatever you mean by installation, it's, yeah, I think, I mean, this is a printed, um, it's a printed uh, uh, silk, no, organza, I guess, organza. No, it's not silk, it's organza, and uh, it's, a, it's a work, this, the image is of, of this show touring in, in Buffalo, the Albright mm -hmm. Knox, here is um, at the entrance of the show, and it's, I think it looks terrific. And it's three layers of images based of a, a stage set that I did for the Flying Dutchman, the, um, the Wagner opera that I did for Teatro Colón, which is a great opera house in Argentina, that, um, and I did the settings for that opera in 2003. Mm -hmm. Later on, as um, I, I recreate some of the subjects that I did on the on the stage set, and I create this suite of works. And um, and I have the incredible chance to to work with with people that facilitate me materials that I would never part of my my 
my daily or my 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 uh, immediate landscape, and mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so it was fascinated the process of creating this piece, which eventually is sort of a of a of a, of a leg of of a of a book, a soft book, which mm -hmm. contains 25 images, all related with the Flying Dutchman. It was a wonderful project, and I'm very happy to have it here. And uh, um, but I don't know. Yeah, I guess it is an installation, but it's you know. <laughs> you could walk through, of course, yeah, that's, yeah. And then we have this very recent installation yeah. in the new gallery, Esperone, in, with water in New York. Yeah. A very old project of yours, of covering the walls with mattresses, mm -hmm. but here in a moving room. Yeah, that's... Uh, does the moving room add Something Maybe the... I mean some people says it's that some people says it doesn't. I think it it does. I like the experience of looking at this piece while the this sort of uh, of of. I mean, maybe I should say that this is part of the the new Esperona Water Gallery in New York that it was designed by Norman Foster. Foster conceived this space as a space that moved through the facade of the of the gallery. And and this is a piece from '92. Mm -hmm. It was untitled in '92, and only today is called Le Sacre. Related. A retrospective title. <laughs> I hope not. I mean, I, I feel like it was. <laughs> I don't know. It feels like a sacrifice, but it's. Uh, but in a way, uh, it was. Um, I, I think it's, it's. I always wanted to to use that title at some point. Obviously, it's, mm -hmm. it's a sort of short for Le Sacre du Printemps. And the, um, this exists as an installation since year 92, equivalent to the installation that is in, the, in, the, in, in, the, in this show, um, which is basically a painted map on a mattress. And that mattress in the show is, is horizontal with legs. And I've been installing both pieces normally, generally horizontally. Only lately I start to think that it could be the perfect uh, uh, idea for a cubicle, making the piece even more claustrophobic, even more oppressive than what it is. Mm -hmm. This almost looks like a padded cell, obviously. You, you might want to crush your head against a wall, but these walls are soft. And also these are fragments of worlds and, and the bottoms are sewn into in, near the name of big cities, so in a way you, you could even create a journey in the, in the cartography of these images. Mm -hmm. The fact that this place moves up and down, it adds something, but it's not the piece. The piece it's, it's this, it could be, it could stay still and still there is, and still is, is, is happening. And uh, you know, there's all, all sorts of interpretation and I don't want it to, um, to, um, to load it too much interpretation on these works and the fact that it's moving because you know, it, as I said, it adds something, but it's when, the, when this moving room is parked in one of the floors of the gallery, 
and you enter the room and you exit, I think you still have that experience in full, mm -hmm. in a way. Um, so the important thing is being close. Yes, exactly. The important of this piece is, is to be encapsulated, mm -hmm. which is something that I always wanted to do. And, and when I was asked to do the show for, for the gallery, I found that that space was perfect for something that I want, always wanted to do. I have that piece, that's a piece that I kept for me since then. And uh, obviously the show has all new works, it's just a recent painting show, but I wanted to have this, this piece, re, I don't know, reconfigured. And actually I have to say that this piece has traveled many, many places and it's always looked different. It always has a different relation with the space. It was a long line in Whitechapel a long time ago. It was all spread out in, in, um, in different museums. It was a compact, one compact uh, a platform in, in Madrid. It was On the a, wall it in was Malva. A, it was a big wall at Malva. It's mm -hmm. a museum in Buenos Aires. So it's, you know, it's, it, it, it had its, you know, it's a very, it's a very flexible work. Well, we'll leave this for our future talk. I don't know where. Okay. <laughs> and uh, my last question was, uh, I, I think it is very difficult to go on after everything. <laughs> it seems that nothing is left. So, what do you see after everything? Going home. <laughs> uh, the apartment plan, like a tarmac. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't. I'm sure that. You know, I can't take myself too seriously to think that you know my daily routine is still to be interesting in my work and be focusing what I'm doing and what is in front of me is already problematic and it's already challenging. So I don't have to carry everything with me. Somehow it is within the things I do, the paintings that I'll do. So um, I remember that when I was a little kid, I, I, I know Milena mentioned that I did my first show at 13, which is true. And at that time, I was, um, I went with my father to, to, to see different galleries, and everybody was so worried about what's going to happen to me after that, and uh, because I was too young, and they said, "Well, the work is okay, but we, we definitely don't advise to do him." They were talking to my father, so him was me sitting next to him because he might probably not want to go on. So everybody was very protective. So somehow I find that, I don't know why, when you ask me that, it had the echo of that, whether make a retrospective show will make you in a different mood, make you think twice what you're doing, make you look back, make you look the past. Maybe none of that, maybe it's just, an experience that it's interwined with all the things we do and all the things we we manage to to deal with, and it doesn't really obviously not a not a kid anymore, but I feel a little bit like that kid in a way that 
you know, I'll be doing the same. But, you know, what, <laughs> what are you what talking else? about? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what else to do. It's, uh, you know, I, it's, it's, um, so, yeah, there is life after everything. And uh, so that will be... I was sure. Yeah, no, no, I know you were, but I'm saying to myself that whether retrospective show will mm -hmm. have to face ourselves mm -hmm. in a way that we have to look back or to, mm -hmm. or to look in a different way. Mm -hmm. And when, frankly, I, 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 I wish I could. I can't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's, I uh, so I, I'll be doing what I'm doing the best I can and hoping for for new everything to come. Okay. <laughs> well, I think we have uh, some minutes for a question from the public. <laughs>